0: And that's the news from RTHK.
1: Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about the latest Belt and Road Summit, which took place here in Hong Kong last week. Nearly 6,000 guests from more than 70 countries and regions were here, representing important sectors such as IT, banking and infrastructure. The gathering was hailed by the government as a demonstration of Hong Kong's return to the global stage and was also seen as an affirmation of the SAR's strategic contribution to the Belt and Road Initiative, which was launched by President Xi Jinping in 2013. A total of 21 cooperation agreements were signed, with the Middle East playing a significant role at this year's event. After 9.45, we'll look at the decision by the French authorities to ban the sale of iPhone 12 smartphones over what regulators say are high radiation levels. You can let us know what you think. Leave a message uh, on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can give us a call on two double three double 266. And just before I introduce uh, our guests for the first part of this morning's programme, uh, here's an announcement from the Transport Department uh, which says that uh, owing to a traffic accident, uh, parts of the lanes of the Lantau Link uh, airport bound are still closed to all traffic. Uh, the lower deck of the Lantau Link uh, airport bound has been opened. Uh, the traffic queue uh, on the section ends at Sha Highway near Nam- the Num One tunnel exit. Motorists are advised to use alternative routes. That's uh, congestion on the Lantau link uh, going towards the airport because of a traffic accident. Joining us uh, now, we have um, Alan Lung, who is co-convener, international and a board member of the Path of Democracy uh, think tank. Good morning to you. Good morning, Alan Lung. And uh, also with us is Andrew Lung, CEO of uh, Andrew Lung International Consultants and Investments and a former Director General of Social Welfare. Um, good morning to you, Andrew Lung. Good morning. Thanks very much uh, for joining us. Uh, uh, Perhaps uh, we could just start with uh, Alan Lung. So uh, the summit that took place uh, here last week, uh, as mentioned in the introduction, it was uh, uh, hailed as a demonstration of Hong Kong's return to the global stage. Um, How important was it, uh, given uh, the role of Hong Kong described as a superconductor in the Belt and Road Initiative?
2: Well, the uh, Belt and Road is really a global economic project uh, led by China with uh, more than 140 countries, including Egypt uh, and a few Western European countries and most of the Eastern European countries and uh, the, the Africa and, and rest of Asia and so on. And it's really Hong Kong is almost like a 20th century ancient Jerusalem in the uh, you know in the in the uh, very early days where ideas around the world meet and there's still English strong British influence and English is Hong Kong's uh, business language mm-hmm. and really Hong Kong is is the most uh, no, uh, normal or uh, significant international starting point for the Belt and Road project and Hong Kong is still very open and, and uh, rule of law and so on. And and uh, it's the uh, all religions on the Belt and Road are practiced in Hong Kong. Hinduism, Buddhism, and there's freedom of religion. There's more tolerance of uh, races in here than I think in the mainland China. Mm. So Alan, it's very important.
3: Alan, the beer, the, mm. the whole program of the Belt and Road is now, what, 10 years old? Right, yeah. How does it how does it look? How do you think it's uh, now shaping up uh, meeting the original aspirations? I think
2: it's just beginning to tick off, uh, particularly the uh, developing countries, is because China give economic aid, regardless of their sort of whether they're democratic or not democratic. And this is welcomed by all African countries and most of Asian countries. And uh, the only countries, significant Asia countries, that is not on the Belt and Road program is India, because of uh, I, I think China is too friendly with uh, Pakistan and so on. <laughs> right. So
3: it's it's really now getting some momentum. You think?
2: Yes. Hmm. I think uh, particularly after the. Uh, I mean, this po- polarized world. Hmm. Uh, a conflict in Ukraine uh, divided world and so on and uh, I think Europe is still deciding whether to join and I think because Hong Kong is formerly almost a, a uh, an outpost of, uh, of uh, UK in, in, in uh, Asia they're quite used to our way of doing business and our business practice our court and so on and this is almost the most logical place for most countries, including Asian countries, to start. Mm. And when it comes to Belt and Road, uh, it, it, they need financial, finan- financial center to support them. Right. And mm. they're not looking for sort of policy loan. I mean, China is not a whole pro- project. They don't want to sort of give up money in, uh, in, in the form of policy loan or policy grants. Right. And there's all sorts of feasibility study, financial study, and Hong Kong is uh, plenty of talents of, of this sort in Hong Kong.
3: So we got the services. Andrew, what's your take on the first ten years of Belton Road?
4: Well, I think that uh, you can see that uh, the Belton Road has uh, gone through ups and downs, and in the beginning, it was totally ignored by the West. Um, they just dismiss it uh, as, as just a, a, a pie in the sky. But more recently, um, the, um, the Western-led uh, bloc, led by the United States, uh, seemed to be um, extremely anti-China uh, on all fronts, including the and Road, as exemplified by the recent G20 summit. Uh, there was a subtle uh, kind of pushback Against uh, China's version of the Belt and Road, in terms of the introduction of the or the reinforcement of the so called um, Partnership for Global Infrastructure and Investment initiated by the United States, uh, touting some uh, 30 billion um, US dollars uh, over the next, um, I don't know how many years, and then the Indo Pacific economic framework. That's Uh, pretty small beer, Andrew. Sorry.
3: Sorry, that's pretty small beer compared to Belt and Road, isn't it?
4: Quite, quite. Well, it's not only the, in terms of um, money, but then there has been a great deal of rhetoric and misrepresentation of what the and Road is all about. And so the uh, for example, G20 seems to be um, attacking the and Road uh, for lack of transparency, uh, for creating a debt trap, uh, for ignoring the environment uh, and for neglecting uh, local jobs. Well, uh, of course, the, the, the Burn Road is not perfect. I mean, it's a, it's a huge learning curve, considering it's the, um, it's the the biggest human project for transcontinental infrastructure linkage. I mean, you, you don't see such a huge project um, in human history until now. So it's understandable that there's a learning curve. Um, but then 10 years on, um, the Baron Row has registered something like one trillion US dollars and hence what you refer to as small beer compared to the, um, the um, uh, Partnership for Global Infrastructure Investment and, and then also the, the Pacific Economic Framework. But it, not only the money, but in terms of uh, the creation of local jobs in spite of the representation uh, that the um, the Chinese partners only uh, come together with their own workers and destroying the opportunities for local jobs. For, according to the uh, the latest um, study um, by uh, not only by China institutions but others, uh, four hundred and twenty thousand local jobs have been created uh, along the Baoan Road, and even more so, people 40 million, 40 million Uh, people have been lifted out of poverty because of the uh, infrastructure connectivity. Now, it's it's easy to just talk about the general term infrastructure. Herein lies the the big difference. In the Barren Road, infrastructure includes schools, hospitals, uh, and also village roads, and and even some small ports. Um, A lot of these are not attractive commercially. Whereas the the uh, the PGII, the, Pacific, uh, the partnership for global investment and in, uh, infrastructure investment and the IPDF um, the Indo-Pacific economic framework, they put a great deal of emphasis on the private sector or reliance on the private sector. Now, I mean, how many um, commercial companies are going to invest in invest in hospitals and schools and and so on? But it's precisely these projects uh, which are financed by China state-owned. Um, organizations that help these poor countries um, mm-hmm. to regain the degree of their economic independence and, and to lift um, people out of poverty.
3: Right, mm-hmm. that seems a completely different thrust to what the Americans are talking about. Absolutely, mm-hmm. Alan.
2: Well, well the uh, I think the uh, China is is basically because of their almost able. Ap- apolitical. they they don't care if the uh, the country they are, they are working with is a dictatorship or or democracy and and they don't they, their their national policy i mean their international policy is not to interfere in the uh, local politics and this is welcomed by uh, by uh, most of the developing countries particularly in Africa and 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 the influence of of China through this uh, project is is sort of scary to, uh, to, to the United States. And I think uh, even the United States eventually, they have to come to terms with uh, whether to join or whether to to, to to ignore it. I think Europe is sort of divided. They, I think they're looking at Hong Kong, whether Hong Kong can remain one country, two system significantly. And there are lots of negative press in, in the West. Uh, we do a one country, two two system index. And the local local confidence is rising, where international confidence is still dropping because of the very negative press uh, sort of pump into the Western press. So this is a problem they have to fix, and and Hong Kong is almost the barometer, or or the, the West would look at uh, whether Hong Kong will remain one country, two system under 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 China if it's. If it becomes one country, one system, I think it, it affects uh, the Belt and Road project as well. As well.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And and I think China is keeping the Hong Kong the way it is because Hong Kong is still irreplaceable, particularly as a financial center and a high-end. Uh, Service Center. Yeah, yeah.
1: We right. had um, yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, l- in fact, let's um, ask uh, Andrew Leung about that as well, because because uh, also there, there was a, a video address to la- to last week's conference from the uh, Vice Premier Ding Xu Xiang, uh talked about uh, Hong Kong maintaining its status and advantages, an uh, uh, in international financial, shipping, and trade center. Um, Uh, safeguarding a free and open, as well as a standardised business environment, uh, and also repeating the importance of maintaining uh, the common law system. So um, uh, statements like that, um, um, uh, how far do they go, do you think, uh, to reassuring the international community that, you know, one country, two systems is uh, intact and will remain so? I think they have to... Uh,
4: uh, Yeah,
1: yeah, uh, Andrew. Andrew, Andrew
4: so the reassurance uh, doesn't come from statements the reassurance comes from the reality mm. on the ground whether hong kong maintains its rule of law in particular because hong kong practices common law uh, there is no it's entirely different from um financial centers in China, like Shanghai and other, uh, other cities, um, or, or many other um, comfortable uh, centers uh, in the region. Um, and, and, and there is no doubt that the common law system is still uh, extremely vibrant. And uh, foreign uh, judges still sit in our uh, court, mm-hmm. high courts and the court of minor mm-hmm. appeal. Uh, and then um, and recent um, decisions are uh, handed down uh, particularly on the um, banning of even the song, uh, problematic song, um, has been overturned by the um, um, court of final appeal uh, on the ground that this doesn't square uh, with Hong Kong's um, 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 uh, uh, rule of law. So I think that Hong Kong still maintains a very high standard in uh, independence of international law and that's the anch- uh, anchors uh, Hong Kong special position but th- plus the fact that Hong Kong is now turning itself into an international arbitration center uh, because both the Hong Kong's unique uh, well, Law, uh, and our arbitration expertise, uh, they all lend themselves uh, to mm. Hong Kong's position in the barren road. Right. Um, so I think Hong Kong's very well positioned in that regard.
3: Mm. Of course, the assurance given by, or the declaration by the minister uh, last week is a direct follow on, isn't it, from President Xi's own speech on the 1st of July last year.
2: Yes, it's almost like reading yes. from a
3: script. <laughs> He's saying the same thing. One of yeah. the points I want to follow up with, because you've both made this point about...
4: Uh, there's, uh, there's no doubt a great deal of pushback um, yes. against the barren road in, um, in Western blocs. Uh, for example, the accusation of a lack of transparency, um, create, um, the create indebtedness um, of creating almost, within quotation marks, a debt trap. Uh, but some of this are uh, uh, purely um, hype and rhetoric. As far as the indebtedness is concerned, a recent study by um, UK-based independent uh, research um, institutes called the Debt Justice has found, uh, looking around the world, the indebtedness of the developing nations around the world. They found that developing nations own more debt to Western lenders, commercial lenders, than to China. So mm. um, it's true that some of these uh, projects, the burn road projects, have been renegotiated, some of them have been cancelled, and even Italy has recently announced its withdrawal. But then this is all part of the, the huge learning curve I referred to earlier, because yeah. this is the largest human uh, proj- project in human history for infrastructural um, uh, connectivity across continents. Mm. Um, so I think that the, uh, China still is, is now um, on this learning curve. is partnering more with international institutions like the World Bank and, and the um, or IMF and other um, even local stakeholders. Um, it it is it doesn't end there. There are still uh, uh, problems surrounding the firm Um After after four, after ten years, I mentioned uh, four trillion U.S. dollars. Uh, and then stabilizing in uh, in about um, a, a trillion uh, US uh, dollars or thereabout. Um, the increase has this this uh, decreased a bit because of the world um, economic problem, and because of these perceptions. Some of these perceptions are still lingering. Uh, but I think that there's, there's upward um, momentum in the sense that all countries need infrastructural uh, connectivity, particularly the. Um, uh, in Asia, for example, you're talking about the regional uh, uh, RCEP, um, the, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, uh, is the mm. the third the world's uh, third largest trading bloc, um, and representing a third of the world population, a, word, a third of the world GDP, and then connecting all the countries together, um, it would be a, a great. Um, A dynamo for economic um, uh, drive. So I think there's uh, uh, still a lot of mileage out there. Yes,
3: you've both Mm -hmm. referred to sort of China's constitutional agnosticism uh, in the sense that uh, we just want to do good things and uh, how you govern yourselves is up to you. Um, Whereas Biden, of course, uh, all had this uh, big confab of uh, democracies together didn't he mm. uh, held in africa mm. interestingly mm. yes
4: uh,
3: is the Ameri- yes. in order the competition for these scarce resources and uh, the ones that are so vital for uh, electrification of economies and so on is that going to cause america to rethink we, we think no. what uh,
2: i think okay. the uh, congress is not going to change mm. they'll they'll go their their own way but the economic reality will make them think twice. I think uh, eventually, uh, like there's some sort of softening of the U.S. attitude towards Hong Kong, saying that uh, one country, two system is still alive, only barely, and all this sort of thing. That's, that, is soft, that is a softening already. But I think Hong Kong needs to watch. Uh, I, I, we, um, I think the uh, rule of law, uh, independence, fiercely independent courts is noticed by uh, the people we talk to, the uh, the, uh, the foreign consuls we, we talk to. Right. But they're they're not very comfortable with some of the things that is happening in Hong Kong, uh, like uh, interviewing the uh, those the the relatives, close relative of those who are sort of uh the eight yeah the Mm. eight the famous eight and i think their attitude i believe their attitude is uh, hong kong has every right to do that sort of thing but it amounts to uh uh, some sort of intimidation and whether it's wise to do that sort of thing so publicly and everything in hong kong uh cannot be national security Need, need to be balanced against Hong Kong business interests and human rights, which uh, I think particularly Europe watch very carefully. Where the human rights uh, is still, I mean, only compared to uh, the rest of the world, Hong Kong has very very high human rights standards already. Hmm. Like Hong Kong and the NSL has uh, ICCPR uh, written into it, international uh, covenant for uh, blah 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 civil, and, civil rights, political rights, rights. yeah. yeah. Hmm. Well, I don't remember <laughs>
3: <laughs> On the other hand, <laughs> we do get these lectures now and again about soft opposition. We must be on the lookout for soft opposition. I'm not sure what that is.
2: Well, soft opposition is uh, uh, it, it, it could, if it goes on and on and on, we could become I mean, the worst case scenario, wearing a black t-shirt on the street and you can be questioned by police and that's what we don't want to see right mm. and, and this is what we must avoid nothing I mean national national security I think we met uh, uh, the chief executive uh, for the policy address I think in the meeting somebody mentioned that uh, uh, this those cases are dying down there's no more new, new national security law now so why why don't we go on to a, a period of reconciliation instead of harping this national security all the time but this is not something i, I believe this is not something that could be decided locally if somebody in 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 uh, in, in, uh, in the security branch keep keep hearing messages from beijing so they, beijing need to be to to decide uh, where, where is the balance Mm. Uh, uh, of course, national security is important, but it cannot be at, at the expense of everything. So mm. this is a policy thing that uh, uh, almost a policy, right. uh, political decision that Beijing has to make.
3: There, there's also noises. And you mentioned rule of law. Noises, I think, in America about whether we should, they should be sanctioning some of our judges
2: this is crazy. This is mm-hmm. U.S. Congress working very hard to, mm. to sort of uh, uh, call hog, uh, do bad things to Hong Kong. And I think, I believe, uh, if you look at the uh, latest uh, human rights, uh, latest uh, European Union report on Hong Kong, when I, I read it, I actually read it twice. The first time I read it, I, I thought, you know, uh, some of our friends uh, in exile had a lot of contribution to it and they they tell half truths and uh, uh, not the whole truth and because Europeans uh, don't know our history we actually had a very long history of uh, legislation in uh, article 23 remember 20 years ago we we miss it by by one vote and it was really unfortunate that we had had to Push it through, uh, two years, two, years ago with this, uh, uh, NSL Hong Kong version and without consultation. And this is one of the, uh, you know, when it's one of the things that unfortunately happened, but we're getting to the tail end of this, uh, this, uh, uh, unfortunate period for Hong Kong already. And we we must get over it. it just just don't keep talking about it and let's let's do some business <laughs> mm, mm.
4: Okay. well could, could i come yes, in on, on this question about yeah. half-truths and 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 rhetoric uh and also um connected with the blackening of of, of everything uh, beijing does uh on human rights and 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 then also this huge um agenda of uh, autocracy against democracy Uh, championed by the United States and other Western uh, allies. Uh, I think as far as Hong Kong is concerned, as uh, pointed out, I mean, everything has got to be put in this context. Hong Kong is not a sovereign country. It's part Mm -hmm. of China. Uh, And then Hong Kong's democracy, cannot be equated with the kind of same kind of democracy obtaining in the West, yes. because Hong Kong has got to work with Beijing, is as, as, as a constituent part of Beijing, and is subject to um, uh, some national legislation, uh, like the national security law in, in, uh, from Beijing. Um, we, we don't want to go into the origin of this and how this happened. But then this is the part of the context. Now, as far as the uh, global rhetoric about democracy versus democracy, um, again, democracy may be the best political system in the world, but there is no proof uh, that it will work for all countries at all times and all civilizations. And secondly, um, even the Chinese model, um, the Beijing's model, doesn't uh, necessarily can be replicated by other countries. But clearly, it has worked for China. Uh, this is not uh, according to what Beijing said, but according to three independent um, research recently. The first one is the Harvard Kennedy School, as uh, sent report about a year and a half ago. Uh, looking around the world, they found that the Chinese people are the people most supportive uh, of, the, of government the government and most trustful mm-hmm. of their government. Mm-hmm. Secondly, more <laughs> recently, another uh, independent mm-hmm. research called the El- El- Elderman Trust Barometer, E-D-E-L-M-A-N. You can Google that, based in New York. Uh, they also found the same. And then lastly, but not least, is another research center based in Paris, the epsos uh, Research Center, EPSOS. They found that the Chinese people, in spite of all these travails and problems, uh, remain the happiest, the people governed by the uh, trustful of their government. Mm. So I think that the test of the the litmus test of any government of any form of government is not the process. That democracy is a process, elections is a process. Mm. But what is the the important measurement? The, the outcome, litmus the test the is outcome.
1: Yeah. Yes. And, and then I'm yeah. not
4: saying that the, the <clears> communist <throat> system is the best in the world. By no means, it's full of um, uh, wars and all. But clearly in the circumstances of China this clearly has worked uh, remarkably well.
1: Okay. Very very important point. So we've got to take a break now for a new summary and a couple of announcements. Uh, at this point we have to say thank you very much to Alan Lung, uh, co-convener and board member of Path of Democracy, uh, Andrew Lung. I hope uh, will be staying with us for another 15 minutes or so and we will be joined uh, by another guest uh, in a short space of time. Um, Quick look at the weather, hot with sunny periods uh, today, top temperature around 32 degrees. Uh, The outlook, uh, hot with sunny periods uh, during the day. In the next couple of days it's currently 29 degrees, humidity 81%. New summary with
2: Ben Che. There's a major traffic jam on the airport-bound portion of the Lantau link after a traffic accident involving three private cars and two taxis, which slightly injured four people. Because of the incident, which occurred at 8 a.m. on Qingma Bridge, the Transport Department has advised motorists to take alternative routes. An analyst says Chief Executive John Lee's trips to Yunlong and Xinhuan suggest that the CE's next policy blueprint will likely address the specific issue of subdivided flats. And a group of paediatricians is urging parents to get their children vaccinated against a bacteria called Meningococcus. The bacteria can cause meningitis, which can lead to severe diseases and death in children and even some adults. I'll have more news at 10.
4: When a typhoon signal number 8 or above is issued, members of the public should stay indoors and avoid risky activities such as water sports. Going outside to experience the storm especially in open areas or near the shoreline is dangerous not only for the person engaged in these activities but also for the public officers who will be tasked with rescuing them typhoons are dangerous stay safe and stay indoors in times of tropical cyclones, rainstorms, or extreme conditions, employers and employees should make prior work
3: arrangements, including rules on going to work, staggered releases, resuming work, working from home, and making proper arrangements for employees who still have to be on duty during inclement weather. Employers should be considerate and adopt a flexible approach, ensuring employees' rights and safety. To learn more, please refer to the relevant code of practice on labor.gov.hk.
5: 95
2: Years of Public Service Broadcasting Stay tuned with Hong Kong Hello audience of RTHK I'm Paul Chen, the financial secretary This year marks the 95th anniversary of RTHK I wish RTHK every success In starting a new chapter for public service broadcasting
4: 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay Stay tuned with Hong Kong.
1: And welcome back to Back Chat with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And we're going to uh, continue our main conversation this morning about uh, uh, the Belt and Road Summit that took place uh, here in Hong Kong uh, last week and the Belt and Road Project uh, in general. Uh, we have uh, with us uh, Alan Leung, uh, sorry, uh, Andrew Lung CEO of uh, Andrew Lung International Consultants and Investments and uh, former Director General of Social Welfare and also joining us now on the line... Uh, Uh, Joseph Gregory Mahoney, Professor of Politics and International Relations at uh, East China Normal University in Shanghai. Um, Professor uh, Mahoney, good morning.
0: Good morning.
1: Thanks very much uh, for joining us. Uh, uh, in the first part of the program, so we were talking a lot about the Belt and Road project and, and uh, there was also some comparisons made uh, with uh, other uh, efforts, uh, mostly uh, being led by the United States. Uh, uh, the, the, new, the, the, the U.S. has just... Um, announced uh, uh, a new plan, um, infrastructure project uh, involving uh, India, and they intend to involve also Europe and the Middle East. I, I see you quoted in, the, in today's South China Morning Post as saying this is, is, is more like a, um, a re-election talking point for, the, uh, for President Biden. How do, how do you see this thing?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think, we, you know, we've seen other uh, similar efforts, whether it's B3W or other talking points over the past couple of years that haven't really materialized as much. Um, you know, we've seen some positive reaction from some of the participants at the meeting in Hong Kong, uh, saying that they welcome uh, proposals like IMAC, uh, that they think competition is good as long as, you know, the U.S. doesn't impose... Um, uh, uh caveats or, or restrictions or say that, uh, you know, you have to, uh, choose, uh, this plan or the other. Uh, that said, uh, you know, I, I saw the, the, announcement, uh, with, uh, uh, uh Biden and, um, but I also, I, I, I compared the announcement to what Biden was saying. Uh, In his press releases related to the G20, in other words, there was a lot of there were a lot of talking points. And clearly, he's still in this sort of dialogue with the old Trump foreign policy because uh, Trump is now drawing even with him in the United States in polls. Um, So I'm not I'm not quite clear. I'm fairly clear that the U.S. can't deliver on a lot of what Biden is promising. um, But um, I'm not quite clear why Biden is is highlighting this um, in international discourse, except as a, as a rhetorical play, uh, to try to keep uh, certain countries in the narrative. Um, and I think most recently we saw this with uh, Italy, where, mm. the, where the Italian government withdrew from uh, BRI, but at the mm. same time was trying to say that its relations with China were still very strong. Uh, nevertheless, a lot of European countries are feeling uh, this incredible pressure from the U.S. to, to choose a side. Mm.
3: That's, that's very divisive, and it, it seems unnecessary I mean, if there's more resources for improving global infrastructure, why not?
0: Why well, I, I think that would be the I think that would be the obvious answer, and, and clearly, a lot of countries in the global South would feel that way. Of course, the uh, the IMAC plan that, that the U.S. proposed uh, has attracted a lot of attention from Africa, even though it doesn't involve Africa at this point. Yeah, I think the, I think the main concern from the Washington uh, perspective is that uh, you know increasingly. Um, We're seeing a strategic alignment between BRICS, um, um, the BRI, the the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, the NDB, the AIIB, uh, not yet complete strategic docking, but clearly... There is this strategic vision where where there's this alternative new world order that is emerging uh, in real time at speed. It's it's not perhaps as threatening as the as the U.S. Uh, um, uh, thinks it is, or or maybe it does. Maybe it does undermine some fundamental architecture of U.S. Uh, domination. Uh, that remains to be seen, but uh, it is clear that you know what we're seeing in terms of uh, the the UAE and Saudi Arabia, Ethiopia, and Iran uh, joining BRICS. Uh, now we have Iran as a full-time member of the SCO, uh, and uh, dialogue partners with Saudi, UAE, and Egypt. We've had uh, Xi Jinping to the Middle East, and, and advanced relations there. We're talking about, uh, you know, new ways for paying for oil. Uh, all of this, I think, is presenting as, as um, uh, something that is really uh, concerning to Washington. And so we see these talking points. But again, whether or not the U.S. can deliver or just uh, just trying to talk its way back into the conversation remains to be seen.
3: Right, because I, one of the other things that points has made between the two camps is – that China is much more willing to allow trade uh, that people can export to China, whereas uh, America seems to now be firmly in protectionist mode.
0: Yeah, that's true. But, you know, I think another interesting point that I was looking up the numbers this morning, uh, so far over the over the decade of uh, BRI, this is you know, the 10th uh, anniversary, uh, there are estimates that China has invested somewhere around a trillion dollars um, and, you know, one of the things that we're highlighting, of course, is is the Middle East because of this new proposal that's come out of the U.S. that, that is, trying, is talking about India, Middle East, and, and Europe. But, you know, over the course of the 20-year uh, war on terror, which, which, of course, was the, the, the main uh, influence the US's is wielding in uh, the Middle East um, uh, in the most recent history, the U.S. spent $8 trillion dollars. And that was money that that we almost all universally recognize was was wasted. You know, if the U.S. had spent eight trillion dollars on building infrastructure, investing, uh, connectivity, all these things, where would the U.S. now be vis-a-vis uh, China? Whereas China, over the past ten years, has spent. A trillion, and some, some China critics estimate that over the life of BRI, China may spend as much as eight trillion dollars. Right, but even if that's the case, right, I mean this, this comparison of eight trillion wasted on the war on terror versus eight trillion that China may eventually invest in BRI, uh, really, I think is is the sort of perspective that uh, uh, Middle Eastern capitals, as well as those in Southeast Asia and elsewhere, uh, uh, have drawn into sharp focus. Mm-hmm. Right. And what do you and make and, uh, of the yeah.
3: comments about Turkey? Mm. from Erdogan saying there's no, uh, this thing, it's got to go through Turkey.
0: Uh, which thing has to go through Turkey? Well, this
3: this improved trade between India um, and the, the Middle East and Africa into Europe. There's something, there's got to be something in it for Turkey.
0: Well, you know, I, I was having this conversation with someone uh, a couple of days ago, uh, Turkey really, you know, has has found itself in this weird position. Uh, it's always kind of considered itself a, a civilization apart, uh, as a unique civilization, and and I think it it, it certainly has its spheres of influence trying to expand that. It's long been frustrated by um, by the the fact that Europe has not really welcomed it or never actually welcomed it into the EU, but always kept it at arm's length, uh, while at the same time being uh, a key component of NATO. Um, Turkey has has played a very, um, um, interesting role, uh, in the uh, ongoing conflict with, uh, Ukraine, um, and Russia, and, uh, certainly, uh, uh has a, a strategic interest in Syria and, and some conflicts with the Middle East, including Saudi Arabia. So I, I think when we talk about Turkey and, and the Turkish leadership, there is this very strange um, um, algorithm of how they fit and how they will fit, and certainly they're trying to leverage their position up right now. But um, they're facing a lot of uh, internal uh, political questions as well as uh, where they're going to shake out vis-a-vis Russia, um, uh, vis-a-vis uh, Europe with with NATO expansion, which uh, Turkey isn't that happy about. But also these improved ties uh, between China and the Middle East, which um, you know, all, all of these developments uh, create opportunities, but also risk for Turkey. And I think this is why we're seeing uh, these insistences coming out of Istanbul.
1: OK. Um, Andrew Leung, uh, talking about the Middle East, uh, uh, clearly it's a very important region uh, to both sides, uh, both, to, both to China and in the Belt and Road and, uh, and also to the U.S. Uh, um, how, how do you see that playing out over time?
4: Well, this is uh, actually a quite an ethical um, uh, kind of paradigm shift, uh, as the Middle East uh, become less dependent on the United States as the biggest customer, because the United States is now energy sufficient, and of course the biggest customer, of course, is China. China is the biggest uh, energy customer in the whole world. Now, but I like to highlight the three things that that uh, set. Uh, the uh, uh, Americans' uh, G20 agenda of infrastructure linkage, uh, apart from the and Um, Mm Road. The first one is that no matter, uh, you know, this uh, India, Middle East, Europe, a single sea rail link, um, um, as pointed out just now, uh, there is no comparison with the scope, extensiveness and connectivity of the and Road around four continents. Uh, Secondly, um, this is underpinned by the fact that China is the largest trading partner to 128 countries around the world, compared with only 58 for the United States, let alone India. So no matter how much... You know, how much India can trade along this new new, new fangle, so, so single link to Europe. Uh, how much do, can they sell to Europe? How much does Europe want to buy from India? Um, but secondly, I think that China doesn't regard this as a challenge. Uh, in fact, it's all to the good because the China's uh, uh, strength um, of, of global connectivity depends on all these linkages. So the more the merrier. Uh, last but not least, uh, the, the one I pointed out is that the. That the American uh, so called alternative depends a great deal on the involvement of uh, commercial um, uh, actors. And, um, and and of course, the China and Road, as I pointed out, includes schools, hospitals, and village roads, and so on, uh, which are not all attractive uh, to commercial lenders. So um, these are the, the sort of things that are hidden uh, by this global rhetoric uh, of the uh, of, um, um, or, uh, against uh, some of the uh, perceived uh, inadequacies or the barren road. Of course, the barren road is full of um, uh, these inadequacies, but as I pointed out, the, the China is still on a big learning curve in this uh, historic um, um, uh, project of global connectivity across the four continents, not seen in human history until now.
1: Mm. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, Hong Kong's uh, direct uh, relations uh, with the, the, the Middle East, uh, so, so the governments uh, of, uh, of the SAR and Dubai uh, signed an mm. agreement last week to establish mm. an uh, economic cor- corridor promoting uh, cross-border trading family offices, yes. fintech and green yes. finance. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that sounds like a, a pretty big deal, frankly.
4: Yes. Mm. Uh, well, Hong Kong is a financial center, and mm. of course, the the, uh, the Middle East is, is is overflowing with money. They want to invest globally, uh, and of course, the, the, the China is the the world second uh, the large second largest economy, and it still remains the 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 the, the growth the economy with a great deal of upside. Although recently there are all sort of uh, headwinds. Um, but the China's fundamental still remains very strong. Uh, for example, on technology, uh, the recent study by the uh, Australian Strategic Policy uh, Institute, ASPI, um, uh, points out that China is now leading in 34, 37 of up- um, um, uh, uh, 45 oh. uh, leading technologies, and of course, the China's economy is is uh, is driven uh, by the um, uh, high-speed rail connectivity, connecting a lot of city clusters on the eastern seaboard and further inland. Mm-hmm. So, and so, and and there's a huge scale of mechanization, uh, robotics, uh, which can uh, solve some of the problems. Uh, faced by China of worsening uh, demographics. So the whole world is now, um, uh, the rhetoric is so one sided uh, and so unbalanced uh, as to lose sight of this inbuilt uh, dynamics uh, of the China market and Hong Kong's position in this bigger picture.
1: Okay, great. Well, thank you uh, very much uh, for that. Uh, uh, we'll have to bring uh, this part of the program uh, to a close. But uh, thanks very much there to uh, Andrew Lung, CEO of uh, Andrew Lung International Consultants and Investment Limited, former Director General of Social Welfare. And thank you to uh, Joseph Gregory Mahoney, Professor of Politics and International Relations at East China Normal University in Shanghai.
3: You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 23388 266 and have your
1: say. And for the last uh, 10 minutes or so of this morning's uh, programme, we're going to turn our attention to a different topic, and that is the uh, decision by the uh, authorities in France to ban the sale of iPhone 12 uh, smartphones over what the regulators there say are high Uh, are higher than uh, radiation levels, higher than they should be according to the way they conduct their tests. Um, uh, The latest on that is that uh, Apple has now said it will introduce a, a software solution Uh, to lower the uh, radiation uh, output anyway to talk more about this we have uh, with us um, an astrophysicist uh, uh, Professor Quentin Parker of the Faculty of Science and uh, Director of the Laboratory for Space Research Uh, that's at the University of Hong Kong Professor Parker good morning to you
5: Good morning.
1: We often talk to you about uh, uh, space research. Uh, thanks very much uh, for joining us again. But I, I know you, uh, you know about uh, communication systems and, uh, and radiation output and that sort of thing. So, so thanks for joining us to talk about this uh, particular um, issue. Uh, um, what do you make of it?
5: Well, I mean, uh, the French have always been independent-minded in the way they do everything, including their foreign policy. And the reason why this has come about is they've actually changed the way they've been doing these specific absorption rate tests for smartphones. Now, it is true that when you look at the um, uh, specific absorption rate for smartphones, there's a great variation in the market. In fact, Apple's phones have much higher levels of the so-called SAR, which is an abbreviation of specific absorption rate, than nearly any other phone on the market by a factor of three. So mm-hmm. it's quite a lot higher than all the other phones typically anyway. But nevertheless, uh, these measures, are, which are measured in, in, the watt, in, in watts per kilogram actually, that's the unit of specific absorption rate measure we're talking about here, watts uh, per kilogram absorbed by the human body, mm-hmm. is that uh, these numbers are still lower than the legal limit of 1.6 watts, You know, the highest you're getting here. In fact, when you look at the various iPhones, iPhone 12, iPhone 13, etc., they're all very similar values, just under one watts per kilogram compared to typically 0.25 to, to 0.4 for most of the other handsets on the market. Mm. So uh, nevertheless, it's been missed, but what the French have done, they've decided rather than just measuring the radiation around the head area, when, when you're holding the phone and you're putting it up to your ear, etc. they have actually now doing measurements from just holding it in your hand. And when you're holding it in your hand, um, you know, the, the head, the, the handset is right up against your skin. Whereas when it's in, holding against your ear, you may be two or three centimeters away. Now, radiation Behaves uh, as an inverse square law, so it drops off as, as uh, you know this uh, one over the square of the distance. You get the de- geometric dilution of the of the amount of radiation because it's being spread out over a bigger area the further it is away from the source. So, but when you're right up against it, then you're you know you're measuring a different value than you would if you're just a couple of centimeters away. And I think that's what they've done. They've reduced, ad- uh, adopted this new methodology, and that's resulted in these uh, these results, which are now they're saying is is, is uh, of concern.
3: Mm. What's the difference between 12 and the other models? Why have they picked on 12? Well,
5: exactly. I mean, I'm wondering that myself because I'm just looking at the, uh, the actual statistics for the, for the handsets here. And, uh, you know, the SAR at the year ahead, it may be that the SAR at the earhead ahead is similar for across the Apple uh, models. But when they do the uh, Apple 12 against, right up against the limb, right up against your hand, then uh, you've got a bit of a difference because as you know, there's a difference of 0.02, 0.03 in the various SARs of the year and head. So, but if you go right up against the body, maybe those differences are magnified because of the inverse square law effect. So, it may be that it's just ticked over a bit uh, uh, and they've picked that. Um, I don't know why. I don't think it's got anything to do with the change in the USB cables that they now, USB-C that everybody's got to adopt. And of course, the old Apple iPhone 12s had the old cables, but I don't think it's anything to do with that, but you never know. But anyway, um, yes, it is a bit strange because looking at the uh, the results I've got in front of me here, the the actual SARs from nearly all the kinds of iPhone are very very similar, uh, which is not unsurprising. But they're just higher than other iPhones on uh, other kinds of mobile phone on the market. It's a bit but scary. Right. I mean, we've yep. got
3: thousands of listeners holding one model of Apple or another. Uh, should they be nervous yes. this morning, or, or going against a Samsung?
5: <laughs> um look at it. these levels are still below uh what the World Health Organization says is uh, is is starting to get unsafe so these are still Safe in terms of the data we have at the moment. Um, now this is uh, absorption. it's radiation that's not ionising. You've got to remember this is a uh, you know low energy radiation uh, that you're getting electromagnetic radiation, uh, photons uh, which have low energy. You know, so um, you know operating the radio regime, uh, uh, microwave regime, all those kind of regimes where they're relatively low radiation. It's only when you get to UV, gamma ray, X ray that you're talking about radiation a specific high enough energy in the photon to ionise. You know atoms in your body and release electrons that's when you start to get you know dangerous really serious problems with health but we're not talking about that kind of radiation and non-ionizing here so it's the amount of radiation your tissue in your body absorbs per kilogram the amount of energy and when your body absorbs energy uh, whether it's from the sun or from from your iphone then you know there can be associated long-term health issues
3: i was going to say uh, some of this stuff comes from the sun well, what exactly should, should we be staying out of the sun and?
5: Well, you should our... always stay out of the sun. Wear a hat and put on sunscreen. If you're in <laughs> Australia, you have to do that every day.
3: <laughs> What's this stuff about uh, a software fix? That didn't. Yes, that that I'm mean, I'm not uh, up to date with any of this science at all. But it, it seems yeah. to. Uh, is it really possible to fix this with software?
5: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, what the software does, it tells a phone to, to reduce the energy that's emitted. Now, everybody takes iPhones and, and mobile phones for granted without really understanding how they all work. And they all work because you've got transmitting towers all dotted all over the place that are sending out signals uh, to your iPhone and you're sending signals back from your iPhone to the tower, the right. nearest tower to you, which can be detected by the strength of signal that your phones emit. So you know, it's all to do with the level of intensity of radiation. Of course, I've talked about the inverse square law. When you get further and further away from, from the tower, the signal drops off very markedly. So you need to be close to towers to have any real signal and to get the data rates that you need. So you need to have certain levels of radiation being emitted, electromagnetic radiation, low energy in the right frequencies. so your phone pick up, and then they, you know, you send a signal to the tower, it sends a signal back to you, data gets transferred in both directions, and that's how our iPhones work. So you have to have, you know, if your eyes could see what's going on out there in, in, in the regime which uh, phones use, you'd, you'd see signals all over the place, like, you know, from everything, data going in every direction from every mobile phone that everybody has on their person.
3: It's a pity we can't somehow turn this all into streamers and, th- and look at them in different colours. <laughs> say what's going where and this is your voice? Well, it uh, is, is but exactly voice. what it is. You know, you
5: You're not wrong. I mean, the colours are, you know, it's just specific wavelengths and frequencies which combine together. You know, when you multiply wavelength by frequency, you get the constant, the speed of light. So, but energy is, a, is a, something called Planck's constant multiplied by the frequency. So once the frequency changes, your energy changes and the frequency of the radiation which we're talking about here, and it's lower frequency, longer wavelength radiation, which isn't ionising like X-rays and UV and, and gamma rays, but nevertheless can still be be harmful in certain quantities when absorbed by the body and that's kind of the whole of the issue at play here is that.
1: Yeah I guess we, we should uh, really uh, reiterate uh, uh, what you said uh, Professor Parker in case uh, any of our uh, listeners are uh, concerned about this because I mean it's been an issue for the past 20 years hasn't it? There have been t- talk on and off about yeah, the safety I mean, of using handsets but, but, but like you say yeah. the, w, the, the World Health Organization says uh, no adverse uh, health effects uh, have been established.
5: No, I mean, you know, talk, oh, you know, um, they give you brain cancer and all kinds of other things have been uh, mentioned in the past. But, you know, there's no incontrovertible, extremely hard evidence about the long term health impacts of mobile phone use. These studies are going on all the time. They've been going on for decades. And I think the energies uh, emitted by phones in the past are higher than they are today because standards are improving all the time. You know, and I agree with having high standards. And I agree that, you know, human health is a priority. We should always err on the side of caution when we're setting limits on these. These
1: things. Mm, mm. We're, we're talking about uh, uh, reactions from uh, different European governments. I guess uh, uh, some people might be a bit surprised that there is no sort of pan-European reaction to it. I mean, is it, is it, you, know, you might think that this was an issue for the, for the EU or the European Commission to, to sort out rather than you know, France and France talking to Germany and Germany talking to the Netherlands and so on.
5: Um, yes, I mean, there is EU regulations and standards across the board on, on most things. But, you know, I mean, the EU isn't isn't a one-party state. It's, it's, a, it's a group of countries that come together yeah. to trade, uh, you know, and have common standards, uh, you know, and common and common ways of doing things. But they're not, you know, each country still has an awful lot of it. You know, it's still its own country. and can still do <laughs> what the hell it wants in certain ways, mm-hmm. you know, which we're seeing here, you know, especially when it comes to human health. Mm-hmm. Then you start to get this di- divergence between different countries doing slightly different things. But, you know, there are rules and regulations regulations for these kind of things. There are, you know, who, who statements on these things as well. You know, America has also its own standards and looked into this.
0: That's, course, a, good, uh, that's in a, a very mm-hmm. relevant
3: point. The Americans are two things. One, they're very health conscious, um, but they're also yeah. very litigious. I mean, if this were a real issue, aren't we going to see multi-trillion dollar lawsuits against Apple?
5: Absolutely. So, you know, that's quite, that's a good point, you know, about the Lydigas. I mean, when you say they're very health conscious, yes, but they're also the most obese population on the planet. So I don't know how those two things go together. (laughs) They have certainly got the most expensive health system in the world, but never mind. Um, And it's not free at the point of service like it is in many countries. Uh, But anyway, what are their um,
3: standards on this?
5: Um, well, I think they're following uh, their own standards, and I think it's one. You know, they have the, the specific rate of 1.6 watts per kilogram. Is and low is, as long as it's below that limit, they're not too concerned because that's the limit that, that's been set uh, for. You know, averaged over a gram of human tissue, uh, and you know, and different countries have different limits on that. But that's the, the kind of limits around that value that most countries are adopting. I think the French have just done a different methodology now, and they've ah oh, well, it's not just about the head. What about the rest of the body? What about when you're holding your hand? Mm-hmm. Let's do some tests there and okay. it's those tests that have uh, raised the issue because, okay. you know, that handset is now directly in contact with your hand mm-hmm. rather than your handset being a few centimetres away from your ear. Okay.
1: So wear uh, gloves, wear gloves. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks very much. Uh, for, <laughs> for, for, thanks, thanks a lot for that. Uh, uh, Quentin Parker, uh, astrophysicist uh, at the Faculty of Science uh, at University of Hong Kong and Director of the Laboratory for Space Research. Uh, thanks to our listeners. Uh, thanks very much to you, Mike.
3: A lot of fun. We're, you know, they, think we're we,
1: we learned quite a lot today we did yeah. and uh, see you see you uh, next week um, and uh, okay stay with us because we've got a news summary coming up followed by brunch with Noreen